Welcome back to another episode of The Agony of Defeat, a podcast about sports and politics and history. Uh, my name is Matt Andrews. I'm a professor in the Department of History at UNC Chapel Hill, and I teach classes on the links between sports and politics. And I'm Jonathan Weiler. I'm a professor in global studies at UNC Chapel Hill. I also teach a class on the links between sports and politics. And Matt, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back. We actually did what we said we were going to do. We were going to do it two weeks later, and by God, we're actually doing it. So I, I'm feeling a rolling momentum for the Agony of Defeat podcast. This is already an, an Olympic achievement <laughs> of our own. Yes. Well, you, you, you said the key word then, Jonathan. Um, uh, I guess the question that I have on my mind, we're recording this the week that the Olympic Games are set to start uh, Friday in, in Tokyo. Well, uh, you know, over a year overdue, I guess, because of COVID. But Jonathan, are you ready for some Olympics? Well, let me start by saying, Matt, that though the opening ceremony is scheduled for a couple of days from now, uh, the head of the Tokyo Olympics just said today they might still cancel it. I read that. I know. Um, <laughs> if there's too many COVID. So I feel like I'm ready, but I'm not sure they are. Well, Jonathan, I, I think to that point, you know, as you know, I teach a course on the Olympic Games and you talk about the Olympics in the context of your global sport history course. And we're both critics of the way that the Olympic Games have historically unfolded. Um, and then when I read that they might not happen, it was like, no, no, I, yeah, yeah. I gotta have it. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, we, 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 we are sports fans and the Olympics are just an incredible sports cornucopia. Yeah. Super I, fun I, two weeks. So I want my fun. swimming. Yeah. I want my swimming. I want my track and field. I want my Simone Biles. You know, we only get all this stuff really, I, I guess we can seek it out, but, but it's thrown in our face once every four years. And I love every second of the competitions. I, 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 agree. I agree. Archery, ping pong, weightlifting, I am 100% in. So, you know, the, yeah, the sports fan in me really hopes that this happens. But there are a lot of compelling reasons for it not to happen. The, the cases that are, that are springing up, it's yes, terrifying. Terrifying. And, and, and it's worth noting that I'm sure you've seen the same polls, Matt. Something like 80% of the Japanese people do not want these Olympics to take place. That's right. And, and think of the optics of this, right? I mean, J Japan has been kind of sealed off more or less for the last year. And you're not sealed off during the Olympics. Your doors are open. And it's like literally everyone from every single corner of the world, come on in. Uh, and, and, and as we've learned time and again, you can have great, what seem to be great protocols on paper for testing and contact tracing and isolation, but there's only so much you can control. No, and the IOC isn't exactly engaged in great protocols. Tomas Bach, the head of the IOC, showed up in Tokyo. He stayed in his five-star hotel room for three days, and then he was going to cocktail parties. <laughs> so not exactly leading the way by, by example. Um, well, Jonathan, I, I know we want to talk about um, some of the of the larger stories going in, kind of give people a primer for some of the stories to be thinking about, and then and then um, you know watching. Uh, I, I want to talk about um, a couple of athletes who are going to be at the Olympic Games, and one who is not going to be at the Olympic Games. Oh, and I should say, can I tell you how excited I was for an Olympic Games without Michael Phelps? for the first time, like in the last two, two decades. And then I just read this morning, Michael Phelps is gonna be doing the color commentary for all of the swimming contests. Michael Phelps, a guy who, in my opinion, has the personality of a, of a toaster oven, a broken toaster oven, Jonathan. This might be a good time to work the mute button, Matt. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Well, so I'm going to get my, my Michael Phelps, whether I, I want it or not. But one of the athletes, an American athlete, who's not going to be there is Shakari Richardson. And Shakari Richardson, for those of you who don't know, is the fastest woman in the United States, which makes her among the fastest women in the entire world. She won the 100 meters at the US Olympic trials. And then about a week later, we learned that she has been disqualified from the Olympic games because she tested positive for marijuana. 
And I'm, I'm wondering, Jonathan, what your reaction was, you know, when you when you heard that story. And now, of course, we've had a few weeks to to process this. Let, let's talk about sports and and weed. Yeah. So, I mean, for starters, you know, she certainly was going to be one of the most interesting and compelling athletes to watch at the game. So the fact that she's not going to be there is just a bummer on that level because she has that 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 flojo vibe about her right yeah, the- she, she's an incredibly charismatic and you know and an incredible athlete of course to boot but um i i guess i'm just dumbfounded that marijuana is still banned i mean i i you know i know that the IOC and the relevant international testing agencies have their reasons that it's still, it's a performance enhancing drug, even though I don't really buy that for a second. One one of the things that one of the articles you you sent me, Matt, said that one of the, it's performance enhancing aspects is that it relaxes people. Right. It's like, wait a minute, but on that basis, are you telling me that you can't take anything that relaxes it? Like you can't have a drink or? I mean. Well, you, you actually can't in, in, in some events, you know, so the, the, the first person to ever be um, eliminated from Olympic competition was a, a Swedish pentathlete way back in 1968, who before the shooting competition, you know, where you need very, very steady nerves, any little yeah. twitch, yeah. drank a couple of beers. And that was against the, now look, drinking and shooting is probably not a good idea to be begin with, but, but, but the IOC actually, you know, it's the IOC and then it's the World Anti-Doping Agency. There are all these different organizations, but they're all part of the same piece. Yeah, there was that idea that it, it, it artificially relaxes you. I, I went kind of deep on this, Jonathan, and read yeah. some, some of the reasons yeah. from, from, from yeah. WADA, and one of them made me burst out loud. Yeah. They said, if, if athletes are smoking weed, they will be a danger to other athletes because when the starting gun goes off, they may not respond as quickly as, as they should. And I just imagine, you know, Cheech and Chong in the starting gate and the gun going off and these two guys standing up and looking. I mean, it, it just... In this particular instance, like, well, they start binge eating pizza. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, sushi at the Tokyo Games. I, I mean, Matt, the, I mean, in some ways, this goes back to the discussion we had on the last podcast, just about the unbelievable arbitrariness of trying to regulate what people put in their bodies. And I guess I just feel like marijuana is such a classic illustration of how it absurd and tail chasing an exercise this all is because on the one hand they're saying that well it could distract you etc on the other hand they're saying it's performance enhancing i mean it's like their reasons are contra- are self are just they are self-contradictory both both good and bad for you all at the same time as a yeah. uh... Yeah. as an athlete. Yeah. And look, I, I have a lot of sympathy for WADA and these organizations that, that, that feel like, look, because, you know, what's what's been going on in Russia, obviously, the state sponsored doping system, you, you don't just want to open the doors and say, go ahead, take whatever you want. Agree. Or, or Agree. Agree. So, so, so WADA is in a tough position. But this one to me seems pretty cut and dry. Uh, you know, and here in the United States, state by state, we're starting to legalize marijuana, either medicinally or recreationally. Uh, many nations, uh, marijuana is legal. Um, just Matt, just to note, Shakari Richardson in particular smoked pot in Oregon, a state where marijuana is legal. Right. So she has broken no laws. I mean, and right. I mentioned that because there's definitely a moralism that that continues to pervade these testing regimes. And that's an argument you hear people make. Well, I mean, you shouldn't be allowed to take stuff that's illegal, but, but these are these drugs are not illegal where she took them. And there's just a, such a clearly changing norm and understanding around marijuana that I agree with you, Matt, in general, that WADA has a tough task, but I feel like on, on this issue, you could just keep up with the times. You know, it's so clear that the, the view of marijuana or understanding of it 
has just changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Well, although here in the United States, well, and also in other places, like how many nations actually allow for the legal smoking of, of marijuana? And, and, and this gets to, to the Olympics. A fairly small number. You, yeah. You're, you're right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and this gets to the IOC's impossible task here, you know, to sort of okay, well, they allow this in this country, but they don't allow it in that country. They allow same-sex marriage in this country, but they sure as hell don't in that country. So, you know, what are our, what are our, our, our policies going to be toward LGBTQ plus rights in, in the Olympic yeah. Games? Yeah. It's a tough task. And I'm glad you mentioned how she did it in, in, in Oregon, because I, I, if Shakari Richardson were, were listening, here's something I would say to her. Um, she said that she smoked pot to deal with the shock of hearing that her biological mother had had died. And that's a tough story, obviously. But she doesn't need to tell us why she smoked pot. She, she does not need to justify smoking marijuana, just like you don't need to justify drinking a beer. You know, for it, it, in some ways, for me, what makes me so angry about this is just to get it away from the Olympics, is just to talk about our nation's drug laws and the way we think about that drug in per particular. It all comes from a reaction against the 60s counterculture and people you know, marching for civil rights and the marching to end the war. And those people were smoking weed, so we're going to make smoking weed illegal in this country. It is such an anachronistic holdout from this era a half century ago that these laws and the way of thinking about it just need to go away. I agree, I agree. And, and, and I will say, uh, on the other hand, because of course, this comes up, and it is true. She knew and has been very forthright about this that she was not allowed to take that substance. Yeah. She knew she'd be tested for it. So, yeah. you know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, there was no way for her to get around what a negative test would mean, what a positive test would mean for her. Right. And she, and she did it anyway. So, um, well, so I think what you're saying here is, is that explanation then was less about why she smoked marijuana, but why she smoked marijuana, knowing full well that she was yeah, going to be tested I, for, I, for I, marijuana. I, I think that's right. Well, and Jonathan, I, I think there's also this, this bigger issue out there. You know, a lot of people, you were just referencing this, that, um, well, actually two. Um, first of all, there is this notion of the rules in sports. So frankly, I'm getting kind of tired of, of following the rules just for the sake of following the, the rules. Maybe this is just me getting mean and ornery, but let's justify why the rules are there in the first place. But, but the IOC, WADA, the US Anti-Doping Agency, they all say that the rules are there in the name of fairness. Okay. Do we believe in the idea that athletes come to the starting line, whether it's steroids or smoking marijuana or where they are from or how they are funded. Do we as a society even believe in this idea of, of fair competition anymore? Well, so that is a profound question, Matt. And I, my first response is to say that it is probably the single most important myth, if we want to call it that, about sporting competition. And in fact, I often say to people, and this is my own naivete probably, but I often say to people, or used to say it more, one of the things I love about sports is that it's the closest thing to an actual meritocracy that we have in our society. Um, yeah. But it's, it's naive, and, and this is what you're getting at, Matt, because even though I think it's more meritocratic than what determines whether somebody gets elected to high office or becomes rich or any of those other things is that it does involve uh, just a, a, a set of rules and criteria that we really do know when we're watching the fastest people in the world, those are the fastest people in the world. Right, so, so we know that. Having said that, we know that there's a million factors that determine whether somebody ever gets to the starting block. Right, right. You know? And so, um, I mean, I, I just, the, the Michael Lewis book, The Blind Side, of course, and uh, many people know the, the movie, um, the book is so great because he, because he does make this profound point, which is that the thing about Michael Orr is he just got lucky. 
that there are thousands of Michael Ors out there who, mm. who, who may not have survived to their 12th birthday. Um, and he got lucky in the sense that this wealthy white family found him and took him in and then he was able to achieve what he was, one could say, meant to achieve. Um, but of course, the premise that we see the best of the best is based on the idea that there weren't thousands of people who could have been good enough, strong enough, fast enough, et cetera, but never had the, the possibility right. of getting that far because of how unfair our society is. Right, right. Or, or think about this globally. I mean, just think about American athletes and the incredible sports infrastructure and support system that they have. And think about, well, I, I don't know what it, the Ugandan Olympic Committee is really like, but I imagine the structure is not the same as in the, the United States. I mean, that's sort of like when, why I watch the Olympics. Every time it's an American against someone from somewhere else, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I, I kind of find myself rooting for the people from somewhere else because when it comes to sports, Ameri when it comes to sports, you know, yeah. American athletes have so many advantages. Even Shakari Richardson, who we could argue, you know, has, has faced a lot and I'm sure has faced plenty of racial discrimination and, a pl and plenty of gender discrimination in her life. She still came up in the American sports system and that's a tremendous advantage. Right. So if you're comparing her to a runner from Nigeria, for example, there are advantages that she's going to have had. That's right. That's right. But I, I guess we're saying marijuana, at least we don't think is is one of them. I, I think maybe my my favorite response uh, to all this came uh, to all this came from Seth Rogen, who said, if we made you fast, I'd be Flojo. <laughs> so I'm not seeing it there. Yeah, that, 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 that's good. All right. Well, Jonathan, we 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 sort of dealt delved, dove, delved, whatever, delved into a, in a, in a semi-controversial semi topic. I mean, we're talking about our, our nation's changing drug laws, but there's another topic that's getting a lot of publicity. There's an athlete getting a lot of publicity at these games, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm a little nervous to talk about this, but I, I'm also very fascinated uh, in, in, this, in this subject. Um, Laurel Hubbard is a 40 two-year-old New Zealand weightlifter. Um, she, will, she will be competing in the 75 kilogram competition. Laurel Hubbard until age 35 identified as male. In fact, competed as a weightlifter in the male weightlifting competitions. Uh, Laurel Hubbard, and I don't know the specifics here, I don't need to know too many of them, but Laurel Hubbard has transitioned to female, uh, thinks of herself as a transgender athlete in, in, in sports, and I suppose in, in other realms, people call um, MTF, male to female. And Laurel Hubbard has followed Olympic guidelines and lowered her testosterone level below this particular threshold something we all learned about when we were talking about Castor Semenya, you know, all these years, and has now made the Olympics and will be competing in the Olympics. And boy, this has opened up a conversation about transgender athletes and the place of transgender athletes in the Olympic Games, which I think too often becomes a, a conversation about their place in society. I think we can differentiate between these two things. I guess I'll, maybe we'll start the same way. I asked you for your reaction about Shakari Richardson. What about Laurel Hubbard? Well, so, you know, Matt, just a minute ago, you said, I mean, does anybody really think our competitions are fair in the ways that sports mythology suggests they are? And, and I think the questions of fairness are so central to this issue of transgender athletes competing because there is a there are people who say it's absolutely unfair for people who were you know who were male assi sex assigned the sex of male at birth and more importantly from an athletic perspective went through puberty as males and this confers on them lifelong athletic advantages so that even after they transmit, they transition, even after they take 
uh, testosterone suppression treatments, et cetera, that they have these quote unquote unfair advantages. And, and one response to that, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm a little bit torn about this issue myself, but you know, people make the point that Usain Bolt has unfair advantages. Mm. And Michael Phelps has unfair advantages that their anatomy, their oxygen levels in their blood. Are... Although no one, no one calls that unfair, right? No, no, no. no. They call you're, it an advantage. Right. They call it an advantage. No, no, no. You're absolutely right, and yeah. and that, and that is what I meant to say, right? So there are these athletes who, for various reasons, have advantages over everybody else. We we both read the book, The Sports Gene by David Epstein, yeah. great book. And he talks about a gold medal winning mutation in a Finnish cross country skier, right. because he had this absurd level of- uh, Red blood cells. Red blood cells. Yeah. Yeah. He has this like crazy red face all the time and blah, blah, blah. And it means that he can hold oxygen more than almost any other human being. Right. And you can compete with that in a sport like cross-country skiing. So, so I guess I guess I'm I'm beginning the discussion, Matt, just by raising sort of the larger context of what it means to your clarification to have fair versus unfair athletic advantages. Boy, there are so many things to to say here. You know, all, all of the um, points you just made, I think, especially apply to Castor Semenya, who is the, the South African 800, the, the, the reigning Olympic champion in the women's 800 meters, who, because of um, suspicions, was forced to have her testosterone level. And Castor Semenya has identified as female her entire life and now she's been told because her testosterone and, and, and it, was, was born was born female yeah. and just but, but has what people describe as intersex characteristics yeah and, and and specifically too much testosterone hyper androgenism as they call it and so you know they say well that's unfair and then of course but what about michael phelps's double jointed ankle ankles and what about aeromandriantas um uh, i forget exactly what it is but the, all all those red blood cells that yeah. he's that he's got but this is a little different don't you think yeah, but tell, tell, tell me why. Well, because, I, look, first of all, I don't know the science here. And I'm reading, you know, boy, studying the Olympics now, you have to read so many medical journals and try to figure out what the hell is going on here. Uh, way more than I ever thought thought that, that, that I would. And so I'm trying to figure this out. And then one day I read a journal that says, if you go through male puberty, your your body is going to get bigger. Your hips are going to be a certain width. You're going to be you able to. You have, more, you have more muscle mass. You have more lung capacity. Even but, if you take hormone suppression, even, you're correct. you are going to maintain strength. Yes. Um, and then I read another study that says no, that's not true. So so I don't know. But let's let's suppose there is some sort of physical advantage there. Does that matter? Should we care? Because th th this is two issues, right? This is about fairness in sports. And uh, again, we don't really know what that means anymore. Yes. Um, but this is also much in a much larger, more significant way, at least I think larger, more significant. This is about fairness in American and global society. And, 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 one, and one criterion of fairness that we are much more attuned to nowadays is inclusivity. Yes, exactly. And, and just just decency, just treating people decently. And unfortunately, we live in a country where more and more, our state as well, North Carolina, where political leaders are passing laws prohibiting transgender athletes from participation in sports. And they say they're doing it in the name of protecting female athletes, but let the record show they have not protected female athletes for the last 20, 30, 40 years. They don't, I am convinced of this. I'm sure you are too. They don't care about this. They are, they are passing these laws 
like bathroom bills and anti-trans um, athlete laws in the name of just making it as difficult as possible for trans people to be out in public, just forcing them to go back into the home, close their doors and never come out. And so I'm really worried, Jonathan, to even talk about Laurel Hubbard and suggest, which I guess I will in a minute that I may be a little bit uneasy with this, is mm -hmm. to in some ways align myself with all the creeps out there that are passing these horrific laws. Okay, so Matt, in response to that, I would say, though it is difficult to do sometimes, let us make a distinction between utterly bad faith arguments which this whole raft of legislation targeting trans athletes in schools in the United States are, 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 are just in bad faith. They are in service of stoking culture wars further. And um, I, I, there, there's nothing from my perspective that's redeemable or valid about those efforts. So there's that. And then, there are the, the, the concerns of elite athletes, in this case, elite female athletes, because it's worth noting that on the men's side, it, a, a female to male trans athlete can compete with men without any restriction. They don't have to take any, where, there, there's no worry right. that they are going to have an unfair advantage. Right. So. So back to the, the subject of interest, which is male to female tra transitioning and whether that confers an unfair advantage. I, I mean, from my perspective, let's just forget about the culture warriors in the United States, okay. right? And just focus on um, the concerns of some athletes, women athletes who will be competing against these trans athletes and whether they feel like there's nothing they could possibly do to get their bodies ready to compete against somebody who went through puberty as a male. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm guessing that's where at least some of your the unease you just described a second ago is perhaps coming from. Yeah. Look, with, with Castor Semenya and Duty Chand, there was this kind of backstabbing coming from other female athletes who pointed out things like she doesn't shave her armpits, she doesn't have a boyfriend, you know, all these re re ridiculous stereotypes. But Hubbard's competitors, I've actually been pretty impressed. I've been impressed with Laurel Hubbard too. We'll talk more about this in just a second. But been really impressed with some of her competitors who say, look, I, 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 I just cannot emphasize this enough. I am for trans rights. I am for trans visibility. And look, let's be honest, maybe, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of nitpicking about this idea of, of, of fairness and an Olympic medal, but so much good would come from Laurel Hubbard being on the medal stand and, and just, just making people aware that, you know, that this is an issue and, uh, you know, visibility is important. I mean, maybe so much good would come from that that we shouldn't even be, be, be worrying about medals. But some of her competitors are uneasy with it. You know, I, I was reading, so there are going to be 15 women in the 75 kilogram competition. This means that a 21-year-old woman from Fiji who came in 16th will not get to go to the Olympic Games. And... I'm going to say something here, and I, I'm, I'm a little uneasy saying it because, again, I'm 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 for Laurel Hubbard as a as a person and Laurel and this notion of trans visibility, but I got to say, there's kind of a part of me who's not uneasy with the spectacle of this very large woman competing in 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 weightlifting, which clearly some of the reports indicate, but there's a part of me that almost feels like this is the height of what we call male privilege. Mm -hmm. That this athlete can live 35 years as a male, compete in weightlifting as a male. And look, I, I, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape or form that Laurel Hubbard is doing this in the name of winning Olympic medals. I'm not, I promise. But just this idea that, well, and now, um, because society seems to be swinging this other way, now I can change my 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 sex 
Um, and then I can go compete in the Olympics as a female, as, as a 42 year, that age itself suggests to me that there's something going on here, a 42 year old female weightlifter. We don't see that at the top level. And so there's, there's just something about it that, so again- no, We talked right. about Renee Richards a little bit last time. Yeah. Was competing as a woman tennis player in her 40s, which is extraordinarily unusual to be competing at that age. So anyway, I mean, just to, right. if you grew up female, you would not be able to continue competing in that sport at that age. Yeah, and and you know to, to to walk back what I just said a minute ago, I, I I described it in some ways as as male privilege, and I I I recognize that Laurel Hubbard is female. I mean Laurel Hubbard says like Caitlyn Jenner, I'm female, I identify as female. Okay, um, yeah, but there, I'm, I suppose where my unease comes from is this. Who are the, the group of people throughout world history and American history who have been discriminated against the most when it comes to sports? It, you know, it actually isn't, though, though they were discriminated against over and over, it actually isn't black athletes. It's female athletes, right? I mean, we, we need federal, we needed federal legislation in 1972 to wrap our American heads around the idea that, that the girls and women should get to play sports as well, well. And that's not just the United States. That's essentially it, everywhere in the world, right? And and it still con continues. But who are the people who are losing out on opportunities here? It's well, it's that twenty-one-year-old female athlete from from Fiji, Jonathan. I, I I do not think there is an answer here. I, I I do not think I am going to come to a conclusion one way or another that I feel totally good about. Not that it matters. Little Hubbard doesn't give a crap what I care or right. what I think. But but you know, just two guys talking here. Yeah, definitely two guys just talking. Here. Yeah. So a, a couple of thoughts, Matt. One is. Um, I mean, your your larger point about, let's say, male privilege, especially from the perspective of a female athlete, I can imagine a female athlete just feeling that and, yeah. and just kind of seeing the world that way. Um, and I wouldn't really have an argument against someone seeing the world that way. And to your point, the point you made a minute ago, Matt, um, you know, her competitors, Unlike, as you said a few minutes ago, what some people have said about Castor Semenya, these incredibly ridiculous, stereotypical um, sort of that they don't meet the feminine ideal. That is not what Laurel Hubbard's competitors have right. been saying at all. I think they've been very thoughtful and they're raising concerns that they are entitled to raise about, again, what, what fair competition means. I mean, I, on the other hand, um, you know, and I, and I think this goes to a larger point I would make about why, at least for now, I don't think there's anything to regulate here is that, first of all, it is so difficult to go through a transition. Yeah. It takes so much shit from society. It's so physically difficult that the idea that people are going to start stampeding yeah for female dumb, right, <laughs> right. just for the sake of competing in, in elite competition. I mean, this just gets to the moral panic part of this that I yeah. just think is bullshit, right? And so, I mean, for example, um, you know, we you, the there are 200,000 female athletes in the NCAA and 50 are trans females. Mm -hmm. So it's a tiny, tiny number. And now, one could argue, okay, but what if 15 years from now, and I wanted to ask you a question about East German women athletes mm -hmm. in this context. What if 15 years from now, female elite international female sports were dominated by, or there were a significant number of trans women among those elite athletes, would that change people's perspective on this or would that require a different sort of attitude toward what we again what we mean by fair competition in this context so right now again from the sort of the macro perspective I don't see an issue 
right? Um, even though other competitors themselves can have their own valid concerns, but I, I but one could argue that okay, but what if this changes in the next fifteen or twenty years? Would that compel us to think differently about about the issue? Yeah. Well, I think it would. Well, I, a lot of people have already made up their mind yeah. um, that they're just against it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I I, I think, um, and I don't want to add to the to the um, you know fire and brimstone prophecies that are out there, but I could absolutely see in a sport like weightlifting. Yeah. two or three um, competitors who had been born male and, and gone through male puberty doing very well all in the same Olympics. And I would imagine that would really cause a lot of people to, to change their minds. And you know what, Jonathan, actually, um, and this kind of goes back to, to, to these rules that are out there. Look, Laurel Hubbard has followed the rules, right? Laurel yeah. Hubbard was told you need to get below five nanomoles per liter of testosterone and, and she did it. So she's absolutely followed the rules. So when Tomas Bach was just out, asked about this the other day, he said, look, she, we have rules. We're all about following rules here. And she followed the rules. Yes. But the next sentence was, but we're going to take another look yes. at they this are, issue. They are going to change the rules. They yeah. are going to change the rules. And so I, I don't know how they're going to game the system. So, you know, let's say Laurel Hubbard wins the gold medal. And the picture of, of a Laurel Hubbard wearing the gold medal goes all, you know, newspapers and, and online all around, around the world. There are going to be a lot of people who are upset about this and say that this just isn't fair. I don't say that because I don't know what the hell fair means anymore. Once again, I think it's probably more fair to, to allow for trans visibility in sports than it is to try to diminish that visibility. But um, yeah, people are going to change their 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 minds about this you know Matt. one of the things that's so interesting to me about this whole discussion is that it is it it, it has been part of i think a larger upending of our understanding of what male and female are right so yes. it used to be well if you have certain chromosomes or other characteristics and we now know that it's all much more complicated than that. Um, and, and, but, I, but I think that complexity also makes it difficult to discuss people like Laurel Hubbard and what is fair and unfair because people can barely wrap their heads around the complexity enough to, you know, just complicate what it means to be uh what it means to be female yeah and to your point to add to it we have done this to ourselves we as a society have decided that we are going to divide sports into male and female categories which supposes that there is a very easy to you know um delineate line there is no such easy line between male and female we used to do this with race White athletes and black athletes can't compete against each other. We have to have separate categories for white and black athletes. We don't do that anymore. We got rid of that distinction as Americans and as a global society when it comes to, to sports. But as long as we're going to continue to divide sports into male and female, because there is no divide between male and female, um, and, and people are sort of, you know, um, jumping that, that line through all sort of um, therapeutic procedures, this issue is going to be raised again and again and again. And you know, there are some people who say the only answer is just to get rid of, of, of sex categories in sports, get rid of male and female categories. I don't exactly, I know what some of the proposals are, but every proposal that I have heard, all it's going to do is limit female participation in sports rather than increase female participation in sports. So why would we do that? Now we're we're stuck here. Um, yeah. There's there, there's no easy way out of this. Yeah, and and the last thing I'll say about it is that our, our biological, scientific, genetic, hormonal understanding of all of these issues will be different 15 years from now than it is now. Um, but that doesn't mean that we'll be wiser. <laughs> yeah. about any of this but 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 there's no question that we will we will have a different basis for making these judgments 
the more we learn about how, how our bodies work. That's right. That's right. And meanwhile, Shakari Richardson is still banned from the Olympics for smoking pot. <laughs> <For smoking laughs> yeah. um, Jonathan, I, I think the other athlete that we wanted to talk about, and actually I should point this out, I hadn't really thought of this, but we're talking about Shakari Richardson, Laurel Hubbard, and now Gwen Berry. Yeah. And you know, 20 years ago when people were doing, I'm not patting ourselves on the back and saying, look how progressive we are, but just in general, people talking about sports, Olympic previews 20 years ago, people weren't talking about female athletes. I mean, there, there are so many dynamic, interesting, brave, courageous female athletes out there like Hubbard and, and like the one that we're going to talk about now, Gwen Berry, who's the American hammer thrower who um, qualified for the Olympics. She came in third in the hammer throw in the Olympic trials um, that just happened, but she won a gold at the Pan Am games in 2019 and kind of made a name for herself. Well, for the blue lipstick she was wearing, which I think looks super cool, but also for during the playing of the national anthem as part of the larger black lives matter movement, she channeled Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised her fist. And for this, she was put on probation by the United States Olympic committee for, for, for one year. Um, there was an, an episode, maybe we can talk about the specifics a little bit at the, at the track and field trials where the anthem was being played. And she very, very pointedly and purposefully sort of turned away from, from the American flag and just sort of almost looked into the camera with disgust at this display. Um, again, pulling a, a Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Colin Kaepernick, ma making a, a, a statement like them about the anthem, really bothering her in the context of all of the violence against Black people. Uh, and she will be going to the Olympics. Um, and there are a lot of people out there who were worried what Gwen Berry is going to do if she somehow finds a way onto that Olympic podium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and the Olympics have long had a rule Rule 50, which bars any kind of political expression, protest, et cetera, by any athletes participating in the games. No racial propaganda. No racial propaganda. They, they, they very, what, three weeks ago, Matt, they modified the rule and said, you can, pro, you can engage in some forms of political expression before your event, Though, is that clear to me exactly where? Because you're not supposed to do it on the field of play. That is unclear to me as well. When, right. when, and, when... And, and, and you can't do it after the event. You can't do it in the Olympic Village. You certainly cannot do it on the medal stand. You can't do it on the medal stand. That's the big one. And, 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 and of course, that's directly about Smith and Carlos, whom in their like video package touting and promoting the upcoming games, the IOC uses Smith and Carlos as an iconic moment, even though <laughs> their rules say you cannot do what Smith and Carlos. I, I, I would say it's, it's, it's schizophrenic, but it's not. It's just hypocritical. Uh, the, the IOC, right. the USOC, yeah. both, both condemn those athletes and celebrate. The, Smith and Carlos last year were, or it was maybe it was two years ago, COVID just screws everything up, but were inducted into the United States Olympic Committee Hall of Fame. Uh, the United States Olympic Committee kicked them out of the Olympic Village and sent them home in 1968. So, you know, they're finding it marketable to latch onto those guys. I, I was just going to say, Matt, that, that is the iconography of Smith and Carlos is great branding. And yeah. so they love that. Right. But they don't actually want athletes to exercise their conscience during the Olympics. And, and, and we think of it certainly in this country as we should in terms of Black Lives Matter, right? And then that's what Gwen Berry was, was doing, right? oh, taking a knee. things that they clarified when they changed the rule three weeks ago, Matt, was you cannot wear anything that oh, says no. Black Lives Matter on. Right, right. Well, you, you know, and, and to their consistency, you can't have any corporate sponsor. Well, that's not true because it says Nike or Reebok on your sweats. Right, but, right. you know, no, no, no shilling for Alibaba or Airbnb or some of the other Olympic sponsors that I'm naming here. But John, I, I, yeah. I, I, I think part of what the what they're what they have got to be worried about, and I do want to bring it back to Gwen Berry. Um, they have got to be worried about in, in Tokyo and with the upcoming games coming up in Beijing, they have got to be worried about anti-Chinese statements. 
statements about the anti-democratic actions, thuggery of, 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 of China, about what's going on with the Uyghurs, about Hong Kong. They have got to be so worried about that. Well, the, the, the Chinese regime is not going to tolerate any of that. Well, what if someone does it in Beijing in 2022? Um, that at the Winter Olympics. At the Winter Olympics. I mean, stay tuned for that story, right? But yeah. but, but maybe we should keep thinking about this in terms of Gwen. No, no, but that, that, that's a good point, Matt. They are they are certainly in part looking ahead. Yeah. Um, and of course, this raises larger questions about who should be hosting the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, there's a larger question still about whether we should still be holding Olympics. <laughs> sure, the question exists. Which we could say for, an, for another episode. But um, yes, but, but you are right that they are surely thinking ahead in part when they think about these. And he, I mean, even the allowing some silent protests before the start of events, it's hard to imagine how that's going to happen in 2022 in Beijing. Absolutely. And once again, I don't exactly understand what that rule is there. Um, they, yeah. you know, the, the IOC made a big deal about loosening the restrictions. To go back to what the athletes themselves want, like we talked about Laurel Hubbard's competitors, and I actually don't doubt this number coming from the IOC. They, they, they surveyed thousands of Olympic athletes, and two out of every three said they don't want political statements at the games. A lot of the athletes don't want this. Um, Gwen Berry and Tommy Smith and Colin Kaepernick and Ray Simboden, who's the, the American fencer who took a knee at the Pan Am games. Um, you know, they all describe that I don't care what you want and, 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 and don't want. This is a human right. I, I possess the human right to make a nonviolent political statement whenever and 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 wherever, um, and it's going to be interesting to see what I don't think. I think Gwen Berry came in third uh, at the Olympic trials, so there's no reason to think she's going to make the podium um, at, at 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 the Olympics. But I mean, a lot of people who very much align themselves with the Black Lives Matter movement are going to be making the uh, the podium at the, these Olympic games. Um, Naomi Osaka. Well, I mean, she's in a very unique position because being half Japanese as well to be really be interesting right. to see what she what she would do yeah and and i guess you know i mean just back to those survey results you know obviously this is what we're interested in that so we, we we focus on people like smith and carlos and kaepernick and tony smith the manhattanville basketball player who we've talked about before um and gwen berry but that survey result also doesn't surprise me because I don't assume that most athletes are particularly political. I think that most are single-minded. They focused on one thing their entire lives. That is how they've gotten where they are. Right. Um, and so, right. So from, from their perspective, you know, why, why, why would we sully or otherwise complicate what is a very clear, pure, athletic competitions. I guess I'm just not surprised to know that, you know, most athletes would be dismissive or uninterested in that kind of expression. Well, and then to just kind of um, interrogate ourselves here, um, you know, the whole reason why we started this podcast is because we were so energized and excited by Colin Kaepernick in, in, yep. in 2016, right? So, you know, if you're listening, that's clearly where our, where our sympathies lie with, with, yep. with, with athletes making these sort of statements. But I don't know, what if um, an American athlete decided he wanted to pull out the Confederate flag? on the on the metal stand. I mean, I suppose I'd have to support his right to do it, but I don't want to see that. We, um, we, we certainly would not be energized by it. <laughs> no, we would not be energized by it. And we'd we, we we see it in a great cause for <laughs> something larger than sports. We'd see it. No, ab, ab, absolutely, Matt. Right. So if you're going to have rules about expression and protest, you could also open the door to lots of kinds of expression and protests that many of us who love Kaepernick and Smith and Carlos would find abhorrent. I think that's right. And once again, 
I get where the IOC is coming from here in a general sense that they are, this is what the Olympics have become. They are trying to take into account the politics in the 200 plus nations that are participating at these games. Like you said, they're trying not to piss off China because they're going to China and more and more nations are getting wise to the immense political and economic, and as we're seeing now, health problems of hosting the Olympic games. More and more, it's regimes like Russia and China that will be hosting the, the games. You know, they're trying to keep everyone happy, or maybe a better way of putting it, they're trying not to piss off anyone. Um, it, it's just an impossible task that, that they find themselves in. And if it weren't for COVID, that would be the number one story, I think, uh, at, at these Tokyo Olympic Games. Well, Jonathan, so we've been talking about the Olympics. I, I, look, I suppose since they already spent the $30 billion on the Games, since the athletes seem to already be there, although a lot of them are arriving, you know, and, and finding out that they that that they can't come in because they 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 have COVID. Um, as uneasy I am with the games, particularly being held in the pandemic, I, I once again I'll admit it. I'm looking forward to the the Olympics. I think the Olympic Games can be better, and and, and why don't we talk about that soon? Um, but I guess I'm I do hope that that they begin on on Friday. Yeah, and and if they do, I will certainly be spending a lot of my time in front of a television set. Uh, yeah, over the over the next two weeks. And once again, they already spent the thirty billion, so I hope they get something. And out as of you it. said, most of the athletes are there. And yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I just did not to keep going with this. I just saw a photograph of Simone Biles from the Olympic Village. Mm -hmm. You know, and. It, I love Simone Biles. People love Simone Biles. The world needs to see Simone Biles. It would be a bummer if 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 she did not get this this she platform. Is, she is as dominant as any athlete in the world right now in her sport, without question. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So watch Simone Biles. Um, all right. Well, this was fun, Jonathan. We, we need to thank Daniel. Thank Daniel Myrick for our our producer extraordinaire editor. Video editor, sound, I guess we're not video, sound editor, propagandist. So Daniel, thank you once again. Yes, um, indispensable. Yes. Yeah, glad I could help you guys. Um, okay, and we are definitely gonna do this again soon. Um, this has been another episode of Agony of Defeat. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, apple and wherever you get your podcasts and until next time we will see you